0: Are you planning a Jewish or interfaith wedding? Are you lost on where to even begin planning the ceremony, let alone finding a rabbi to help you? Well, it doesn't matter whether one of you is Jewish or you're both Jewish, you deserve a guide. So take a deep breath. I promise it will all be okay. Welcome to your Jewish wedding with Rabbi Leanne. Here, I can be everyone's rabbi yours too. My guests and I will share everything we know to help make your Jewish or interfaith wedding full of tradition and perfectly yours. Everyone, It is so good to be here with you today. It has been weeks since I sat in front of my microphone and I have to say, I am so happy to be back, even though you know I've got to open every episode chatting about the weather and it is absolutely awful. It is cold and you know that I like it when it's cold, but not when it's also dark and dreary and wet. You know, this is the time of the year when you need to have indoor shoes and outdoor shoes. Now don't get me started. I know that I'm always supposed to have indoor shoes and outdoor shoes. And I am trying to become a cleaner, tidier person in this new secular year. So I'm working on it. That is a difficult habit for me personally to get into. Anyhow, the nastiness, the cold, wet mud, it's too much. It's too much. And for those of you who have seasonal affective disorder, like I do, this is when the mood starts to go downhill. You might think that it's around winter solstice, which is obviously the day that we have the least sunlight of the entire year. But no, it starts, you start to feel nasty in January. And then by March, you would just weep to see a bloom in your garden or feel a warm ray of sunshine. So buckle up, everyone. We are here. But I will tell you something. The children are all at school. I have a full day of podcasting today. I'm sitting here chatting with you. In the morning, I'm having my third cup of coffee. In the afternoon, I'm going to be interviewing, God willing, Reverend Mercy, who is an interfaith and bilingual officiant. So look forward to her interview later on. Now here's the important thing. I do have a candle burning. It's a coconut cream pie candle. I love it, but do you know what I really love? Is this year's Bath and Body Works Happy Hanukkah candle. If you flip over this candle, on the bottom, the name of the scent, get ready for this, is soufganiot. No, it's not jelly donuts. It literally says on the bottom of this candle, Sufganiyot. Now, here's my problem. I have a lot of, let's just say I have a large stock of candles, okay? We're not going to say I'm a candle hoarder because I have found places for all of my stock of candles to be stored, okay? But I'm trying, once again, to be a better person, cut back on the candles. So I bought one Happy Hanukkah candle from Bath & Body Works. At the beginning of the season when I tell you it smells exactly like sufganiyon and the throw of the candle which means how much scent it gives off when you burn it is so good well of course I went back and bought another one to have on hand for my stash you know so fine then it was candle day which is a just another candle sale day I think I The candles were down to like $11 or something. So I bought a few more. Well, now wouldn't you know it? It's the semi-annual sale. These sufganiyo candles are selling for $6 in some sense. I don't know. Is it $7? Something insane. Now, you guys are saying, Rabbi Leanne, you clearly need help. Well, I do burn them. And I do have a policy. I don't like to spend much more than $10 per candle. Okay. And they burn for 40 hours, 30, 40 hours. And they do last a long time in this house because my husband, God bless him, he has issues with a lot of scents. So we're always just doing this sort of dance of like, which ones can you deal with? Maybe he's going to be out of the house for a while. So I burn one. Anyhow, they last a long time. Long story short, I purchased eight candles at the semi-annual sale price and God help me, I went back to the website right before I hopped on here. I was like, oh, I'll just tell the listeners whether they're on sale as if I'm even going to post this before February, right? Because I have, a, I have episodes in queue. You guys aren't even going to hear this until the Sufganiyot candle is long, long gone. Anyway, if you're one of my Columbus, Ohio couples, and I'm going to meet you in person and you want a Sufkanio candle, let me know. I'll bring you one because just to show you how not of a hoarder I am, how I am not a hoarder. I'm not a candle hoarder. I'm willing to share the love. Actually, one of my couples getting married, I think you guys are getting married in October this year. I sent them a candle in their welcome package. That's how healthy I am. That's how well adjusted. Anyway, here we are five minutes into this podcast and I'm still talking about the weather and candles. So that's what you get when you sit down to listen to a podcast with a middle-aged lady who has nerdy interests and wants her house to smell good all the time. Okay. Well, we're here today, everyone, to speak about the ritual of circling in a Jewish wedding. Now, as I record this episode, I'm co-working, which means I'm working alongside somebody else. And I told her, Cassandra, if you're listening, I told Cassandra, I was going to be done recording within the next 50 minutes. I think we all know that that's almost certainly not going to happen. Listen, the circling episode started just like so many other episodes where I was like, I'll just write a few quick notes. It's not that big of a deal. Not such a huge topic to talk about no problem i have still not decided whether i'm going to split this episode into two parts i think it's really interesting by the way that the episodes that we're splitting into two and three parts it's following a pattern isn't it we're learning about the history and the origins of each custom or prayer and then there there always seems to be this whole other part it takes me a long time to go through the way that modern couples are adapting this ritual. Now, is this healthy in a podcasting sense? Maybe not so much, and maybe some of you are annoyed by all the split up episodes, but let's look on the bright side. In the sense of Judaism, I think this can only be a sign of a healthy ethno-religion slash culture that is always growing and changing. And, you know, that's what we're here for. So whether this is one or two parts of an episode i am glad you're here i'm happy to be here with you and we will get through this together just like circling which seems to be circling is kind of like like the act of a jewish wedding ceremony let me explain can you tell my teenagers are getting ready to take their high school standardized test for the first time so it's like nobody likes the idea of having to do this thing, they're not even sure is like necessary or important, but everybody knows that it's part of a Jewish wedding, okay? When the couple arrives at the chuppah, there is some form of one of them or both of them walking in circles around the other. Whenever I talk to couples about this ritual, I'm telling you, it's like they knew it was coming. They knew I would wanna know about it. There's a little bit of a cringe face. Oh, do we have to do that? I think I have had maybe two couples total <laughs> enthusiastically be like, Yes, Rabbi Leon, we are here for it. Okay. I will also tell you preview of this the back half of the episode, which is going to be modern slash contemporary couples. This is a unique Jewish wedding ritual for me personally, because most of them I'm not like invested in at all. But this one, I have to tell you, it's pretty close to my heart for a number of reasons and not in a not in a personal way, by the way, in a professional way. I really, truly love this ritual of the people who get to the chuppah, about to get married, who do the circling. It is there is just something about it that I love. And I, I actually know what that something is. There are several some things and we will talk about it. But before we get into that, you all know how every topic starts on this podcast. We are going to go back to the origins of this custom of circling the bride circling the groom or the groom circling the bride or bride, bride, groom, groom. We do not. You guys are waiting for me to say, let's go back to Bible times. Guess what? I'm not going to say that in this episode. (laughs) So. This is one of those customs that we are almost certain is non religious in origin, and in fact, just what I like to call superstitious. So it's a superstitious thing that became popular in the Jewish community and continues in some way, shape, or form to this day. If you guys think for just a second, you can think of lots of superstitions. You know, there's saying Kenahara when you say something good or something nice. They're saying God willing all the time, like I do, you know, that you have to make sure you say it because otherwise you might jinx it, right? There's um, wearing hamsas and evil eyes and charms and stuff like that. You eat certain food at certain times of year, especially around the new year. There's all these kinds of food you're supposed to eat. The challah gets shaped in a certain way. And in fact, even before... That's a thing on Rosh Hashanah around the new year. There's a circle, circular challah, obviously. But even before Passover, there's a custom of baking challah in the shape of a key, which is supposed to bring good financial luck. There's all kinds of Jew superstitions that we do not find in the Torah or indeed in any book of religious Jewish law. In fact, there are two ways that we know about Jew superstitious customs. Number one we know them because we we do them and they were passed down to us generations and hundreds of generations. And we don't really know much about them or where they came from. We just know that we're supposed to do them and even feel uncomfortable sometimes if we don't do the superstitious thing. Okay. And that is 100% me. And the other way that we know about them is that they are mentioned in passing in books of Jewish law. Now, sometimes... Speaking of superstitions in recorded Jewish texts, right? So like the Talmud or later books of Jewish law, like the Shulchan Aruch, or even Midrashim, which are um, basically recorded lore of Jewish stories, usually based in the Bible, okay? So we read about these customs in tangentially in those texts, okay? The custom of circling is one of those that we find in that way. Okay. So the little bit of online research I did, and of course, I'm going to link all of this in the show notes so that you guys can click around. Very fascinating. is tells us that the examples of Jewish customs showing the use of a magic circle goes back actually to birth protection rituals in Alsace, which I believe, is in in France, right? That's in France. And their surrounding area. As early as 1560, so this is a 16th century observation, um, there's a text by Rav Naftali Hirsch ben Eliezer Treves, and he talked about a custom in which a circle was drawn around a woman giving birth to protect her from Lilith and demons. Okay, so... Oh, gosh. You know, I should invite Abby from Political Psych with Abby back on the podcast to talk about (laughs) Lilith and Demons, which has very little to do with Jewish weddings, but obviously it has a little bit to do because I'm talking about it. But truly a fascinating part of Jewish legend and lore is Lilith, who is in particular, who is a demon that is derived from actually the biblical story of Adam and Eve. The idea of her is, is derived from that. And she is known for being a really powerful demon who steals babies or who hurts little babies or mothers giving birth, right? And so great was the fear of Lilith, and understandably so, right, in, in a time when maternal mortality, infant mortality, death and childbirth was very common and a very real, real danger that uh, people would be really concerned about this and think up ways to feel that they had done their due diligence to protect themselves from it. So uh, Rav Naftali Trevis notes that when a woman is in childbirth, you would get something called a uh, cross messer or a Christ messer it sounds like Christ has nothing to do with Christ it 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 means a circle knife and I'm like what is this I'm trying to google it the name the name for this knife it's like a knife or a sword but from what I can tell what this text is talking about is not a sword like uh Abby might be interested in it's more like a little it's like a it's like A cross between a long knife and like a scythe, like the end is like curved up. I'm linking a scholarly article I found about Jewish women and swords. So cool. And you can see a picture of one there. The particular picture that's included, by the way, has 18 evil eyes carved onto the blade. This thing is so cool that I I went to Etsy to see if anybody is making these today, because I'm like, maybe I should have a superstitious childbirth knife sword, even though this is a promise, first and foremost to myself, and also to you, the listener, that I will not be giving birth to any more babies. Okay, that time has passed, long past. Okay. Fast forward a little bit, Uh, actually 200 years, there's an historian, Paul Christian Kirschner. So I don't know, Kirschner, is he Jewish or not? Because his middle name's Christian. Probably not. Okay. People who know things about last names. I think Kirschner is something to do with cherries in German. Okay. Um, so he has written, though, apparently a description of Jewish birthing customs, and it includes an illustration showing the, the childbirth bed with a knife or a sword like next to it. And another historian also describes a sword placed near the pregnant woman in the 18th century, in that same time period, indicating the likelihood that this custom continued through the centuries. And there are also oral accounts from 20th century Baden-Württemberg in a publication by the Jewish Museum of Switzerland, which talks about making circling movements with a knife in order to protect a woman in childbirth. I have given birth to four children. Why did I not know about any of this? I mean, I think it's actually probably a pretty good thing because if I had known about it, already I was there in the delivery room with like a book of Psalms and like a red string. You know, those are other um, Jewish childbirth superstitions. And I felt, I felt good about those things, right? Um, my goodness do you think I would have even been allowed to bring a sword into the Ohio State University labor and delivery ward? I don't think. So. Okay. So I guess it's good that I didn't know about them, but this is a pretty common thing. The idea of physically making a circle around someone to protect him or her is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. If we heard about it um, from this rabbi in Alsace in 1560, in It probably existed for hundreds of years before that, too, right? This is a phenomenon that we've discussed a few times on this podcast. Now, the custom doesn't go back to Bible times. However, people have found connections between this custom of making a circle that references back to biblical verses in order to explain significance. Okay, so in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 22, it says, A woman shall go around a man. And in Hosea 2, which by the way, Hosea is like a super anti-feminist book of the Bible, minor prophet. This guy had some real issues. And uh, I wouldn't recommend reading Hosea during your wedding ceremony like at all. Although, you know me, we can make it work. But mentions making circles in reference to betrothal. Okay, so there's also this idea that making circles sort of seals the deal in some way. It it's a it's a marker of completion. It's a symbol of wholeness. But we'll talk about that more when we get to the symbolism. However, even though we have those references in the Bible to making circles in the context of being engaged or being betrothed or being promised or, or dedicated to someone. I want us to be really sure that we don't mistake the attributed meaning of a ritual with the origins of that ritual or the historical significance. And and why is that so important to me? Because I am here to help couples learn about and understand Jewish wedding rituals, right? And if we make the mistake of saying that we know that this ritual means this and that we do it because of the verse in Jeremiah, that's an explanation that will likely not resonate with a large number of couples, especially if we pull out this Hosea verse from a book that is really, really, you know, misogynist would be putting it lightly, okay, automatically we are going to squash a great many couples interest in performing this ritual, including this ritual in their ceremony, okay. And when we do that, we are severing a connection to the true reason that we're fairly certain couples and communities incorporated this ritual into weddings, which actually has nothing to do with God or symbolism of marriage. It's all about protection, right? So when we think about it that way, we're able to connect to the ritual on many, many, many more levels and through many, many more facets. Because I think, you know, it's not a super common phenomenon for even Jewish people to have a a close connection with the idea of the book of Jeremiah or the, the message of the book of Jeremiah, right? But it is one of the most basic human impulses to create protection for ourselves and for other people. And when we look at the ritual of circling in that way, in this very historical, cultural context that we think we got it from, we are able to connect to it in a much more base way, in a much more emotional way. And in a way that we can imagine is a direct line to our ancestors. And now all of a sudden, the reasons for doing that ritual, I think, have changed dramatically. So this is the first of many, many PSAs that I will probably do as part of my explanations of the customs of the Jewish wedding ceremony. Please, let's not confuse origins... With symbolism or traditions with meaning, right? Traditions and rituals receive their meaning from the people who perform them, not the other way around. If you're a social anthropologist and you're listening to this podcast and you are either like shaking your head one way or another, agreeing with me or not, please email me and Listen, if you are up for it in any way, shape, or form, please come on the podcast. I would really love to hear an anthropologist's take on, you know, obviously Jewish wedding customs, but wedding customs in general that are specific to different cultures and faiths. I really would just love to learn more about this. And I think my listeners would too. Okay. And just like any other custom we have as a people, there are so many variations. If you are not following a lady named Yocheved Gross on Instagram... I believe that her job is that she styles, she styles Orthodox Jewish brides, and I'm not entirely sure, but I think that she helps them get into their shetel, which is the wig that covers their hair once they're married, between the wedding and the reception if they so desire. I think that's what she does. I should do you think I should message her and ask her to come on the podcast? I'm a little nervous that she wouldn't. I don't know her at all. So I guess that means, yes, Rabbi Leanne, you should message her. Because we should seek to know more, right? That's what I'm always saying. There's always more learning to do. Yes. Okay. So I will message her. That That's a, a public promise on the, recorded on the podcast. I'll message Yochave Gross. Anyway, she shows off a lot of Jewish wedding customs on her Instagram page through her reels. And she posted something a few weeks ago, which I did not know about the ritual of circling, which in which is that in the Skver and Lubavitch, Chabad-Lubavitch communities, which is bo- these are both uh, dynasties within a uh, Hasidic Jewish tradition. OK, so you'll hear, hear people call Hasidim ultra-Orthodox Jews, which I don't know that term just sounds so like really judgmental and also kind of like a cleaning product, maybe. So I don't really love the term ultra-Orthodox Jews for some reason. And I listen also to the Ask a Jew podcast. If you are at all interested in Jewish conversation or Jewish life, please pause this right now. Go search for the Ask a Jew podcast. It is two women. One, Hialeah is a Hasidic Jewish woman who also is the executive director, I believe, of her Hillel Jewish Student Center on campus. This job is so involved. I don't know how she has time to breathe, let alone podcast. But anyway, I'm very impressed by her. And Yael, who is a secular Israeli woman who works in media and who has been in the army, and I believe she lives in New York now. They have all kinds of conversations. Anyway, I think in the last episode of Ask a Jew, I think Hialeah said she doesn't like ultra-Orthodox either, that term. I don't know. If you are ultra-Orthodox and you're listening to this, email me and tell me if you like the term or if it annoys you, podcast at gmail.com. All right. Anyhow, let's go back. Was that our first big tangent? Almost certainly it was not our first big tangent of the episode. Here you are. You're back again even though you know this is going to happen, okay. In the Skver and Lubavitch factions of Hasidic Jews, so we're talking about very, very um, detailed observance, intense observance of Judaism, it is a tradition for all four of a bride's parents to accompany her as she circles the groom under the chuppah, okay? And this bridegroom stuff, we're going to talk about that in a second when we talk about procedure for how to do this. We'll talk about it more in what is almost certain to be part two of this episode of the next episode, because, well, by my count, we are here at already 28 minutes. Okay. It's whatever. You know, who doesn't like an extra podcast episode to listen to while they're doing chores or walking the dog or whatever? So Yochavet says that it is a tradition in this community that all four parents accompany the bride while she's circling the groom. And another variation that I found is that even though most couples will do um, a clockwise circle, in some places it is considered good luck and in fact, very important to only walk on clockwise. Okay, so those are traditional variations. Obviously we'll talk about modern variations in the next episode. Lastly, in videos or photos of Orthodox weddings or more observant or traditional weddings, I almost always see the bride walking with her mother, and the groom's mother, and the women are holding a candle in like a little hurricane shade or whatever. And I tried looking up why that is that they carry them, and there were some vague references to, you know, the symbolism of light in Jewish culture, and this reading by the Baal Shem Tov that I think I mentioned maybe in the last episode I recorded solo. I'll include it in the show notes. Lastly, in most traditions, the number of circles is seven. And we'll talk about some explanations for that in the next episode. But in some communities, the number of circles is three. Because in that verse in Hosea in chapter two, this is the explanation people give. It says, I will betroth you to me, quote unquote, I will betroth you to me three times. So that is why in some communities, apparently, it is three circles instead of Seven. So keep that in your back pocket. And when we get to the next episode about variations and the ways that modern couples tackle this ritual, it could be an explanation for you if you like it. Okay. So those are some of the variations on circling under the chuppah or in front of the chuppah that we see in a more traditional Orthodox context. So you can see that I've tacked this onto the discussion about origins because I want to really drive home the point that when people ask what is the right way to do this ritual, that you all understand that the quote-unquote right way doesn't exist even in the most traditional, the most old country, the most orthodox of settings, okay? We are an interesting and varied people, and we pick up our customs from all around. Remember what I'm always saying, the Jews love to be fashion. And this ritual of circling is no exception to the way that our customs and behaviors have shifted and changed depending on where we lived, where we came from, and what feels like the right thing to us or what we're doing to honor the way that our parents and our grandparents did things. So we're going to take a short break and I'm going to expand our conversation about the origins of this ritual by touching a little bit on the ways that we see circling show up in the wedding traditions of other cultures and faiths. Welcome back. I have to tell you all, I adore the ritual of circling at a Jewish wedding purely because of the many explanations and sort of vibes that go along with it, which again, we are going to talk about in the next episode. But I do think that I'm going to post that episode like quickly after this one, so if anybody's like dying to hear <laughs> all the reasons and explanations for the ritual and the variations on it, it you won't have to wait too long. No promises, or, but uh, that's, that's what I'm thinking. So one of the reasons that I love this ritual so much, especially as a rabbi who officiates a lot of interfaith weddings, is that it is such common symbolism and even practice across cultures particular to a wedding this blows my mind when i think about how wonderful it is you know it's it's so cliche to say oh we have so much more in common than things that we have not in common well i have to tell you in a jewish wedding there's kind of a lot of stuff that other weddings don't have okay that's just that's the fact of the matter i don't know what else to tell you so When we have something that other cultures and faiths literally do almost the exact same thing in their wedding ceremonies, it is so exciting because then if you are a Jewish person and you happen to be marrying somebody who comes from that culture or that faith, think of how powerful it is that your people in your faith going back generations have been doing this same ritual as your beloveds family, culture, faith, going back generations, living in the world almost parallel to each other in this one aspect of the wedding ceremony. Gosh, maybe it's just my family's love for Into the Spider-Verse and Parallel Universes, you guys, but I think that this is just one of the coolest things that happens. It speaks to the deeper impulses of our humanity that when we think of ways to symbolize what it means for two people to come together, people of the Jewish faith and people in Greek culture and people all over India, this humongous country of India, all are walking in circles at their wedding. What a cool piece of knowledge to carry with you that yes, we do have so many differences, but when you drill down Sometimes you find things that independently, right, without hardly any communication across centuries and centuries between Jews and Greeks and Indians that tie us together. There's that little thread of connection. I love it. So the specifics, there are lots of interreligious and intercultural connections in Greek weddings, There are at least two circles and usually three from my understanding. I should have Father Demetrius, who is my uh, Greek Orthodox priest buddy here in Columbus, Ohio. I should have him come on the podcast, shouldn't I? We officiated a wedding together a couple years ago. He was not together. He came up and gave a blessing. But gosh, what a fun guy. And he knew so much, as you would expect a priest to know, I guess. Anyhow, during the Greek Orthodox wedding, this is referred to as according to Google AI, okay, the dance of Isaiah, or sometimes it occurs during the procession. And Google says, during an Orthodox wedding, the priest leads the couple in a circle around the table or the altar three times. The priest sings hymns and holds the Gospels in his hand, and as the couple completes each circle, they may kiss a cross. This is seen as a religious dance, and while wearing it, oh, the couple is also wearing the stefana, which I think is like, it's almost kind of like the lasso, I think, in in South American Hispanic wedding traditions, where it, it's like a garland that ties the two of them together. Oh, no, the stefana. See, I need to do better research. Okay, the stefana is maybe a crown? I'm not sure. Regardless of what it is, the best man or and or maid of honor will swap it back and forth three times to mark the beginning of the couple's journey together. Now that I think about Greek weddings, I think they each wear a crown. So maybe there's a switching of, of the crowns. Again, though, we have this crown and this exchanging of this circular form between the two people that indicates some kind of Protection, yes, but also joining them together, which, of course, also we see in the rings. And obviously we will have an episode on rings, at least one episode of rings, right? And while the couple walks, while the couple does circles, it is customary for guests to throw rice at them. And then there's another circle at the Greek Orthodox traditional reception called a sirtaki, And the guests hold hands and dance in a circle. Hey, have you guys heard of that ritual before? Or have you seen some amazing wedding reception pictures from Jewish weddings of guests dancing in circles? Yes, you have. Okay. I mean, Greece is really close to the land of Israel, right? Maybe Greeks like to be fashioned just as much as Jews. And that's where we both got this whole thing about dancing in circles and walking in circles. Okay. But, but. There are also Indian wedding traditions that involve circling. Now, you all heard me geek out about Indian weddings already because I was talking about the mandap and how similar it is to the chuppah. If you are a Jewish person marrying an Indian person, congratulations. Because obviously, Jews and Indians are both incredible groups of people and cultures and religions. Indian's not a religion, I know that. But also because Your wedding planning is going to go so easily. We have so many things in common between Jewish wedding ceremonies and Indian wedding ceremonies. And if you are a Jewish person marrying an Indian person, please email me. Listen, even if you don't want me to officiate the wedding, you have priests or whatever for that. Or, you know, your cousins doing it or whatever, please invite me. I wanna see I I've never been invited to an Indian wedding. Yes, I know they last hours and hours. Yes, I know I need to bring snacks. I will, I promise I'll be a good guest. I'm not gonna complain. I just want to come see it, okay? All right. So, in North Indian weddings, so India is a humongous country. In case you're like geographically illiterate, <laughs> India is a humongous country, which means that. The customs of the people who lived in India, like very widely from place to place in India. So in North Indian weddings, at the beginning of the ceremony, the couple walks seven circles around a sacred fire. The fire symbolizes purity and, this, and sustaining life. And Jewish weddings are all about life, too. We don't have fire. Not so much. Sometimes we have candles. But listen, you could see how easily we could make this all work, can't you? All right, each circle that the couple makes around this fire represents a specific blessing that they're asking of the gods, or I guess some people say that they're also making promises. So the blessings are for dharma, which is righteousness, artha, which is prosperity, kama, which is for love, fertility, and family, and moksha is for spiritual liberation. I don't know if I'm pronouncing these right. I try my best. Okay. There's an Indian custom from a different location or custom where the couple circles the sacred fire four times. And finally, at least in my notes, in a southern Indian custom, the Saptapadi, the couple takes seven steps together to signify their seven vows. Thank you, Google AI, once again. Now, the most prominent circle walking customs that I found and that I know of involve Greek Orthodox weddings and Indian weddings. Obviously, if you know of others or want to talk about others, please, please email me yourjewishweddingpodcast at gmail.com and come talk to me about it. Finally, though, I was thinking to myself, I was like, I think that there's something in pagan weddings. Obviously, there's like a hand fasting, but apparently during that hand fasting, it is customary for the guests to stand around the couple in a circle while they bind hands. So... It's a little bit of a sort of inside out situation where instead of the couple walking in the circles, it's their guests circling them. But there's still this vibe of protectiveness and this idea that we are holding them in a separate individual space. Okay, And that's a wonderful place to leave off on this episode, this discussion of the origins and the cultural commonalities of circling in the wedding ceremony. There's so much to talk about in terms of significance and in the way that modern couples adapt this ritual to their own weddings that we are going to talk about it in the next episode, okay? And I know you're so excited for it. Like I said, I will try to post it um, quickly after this one instead of waiting a whole week, but you know, blee matter, no promises. In the meantime, if you are enjoying these chats with me. And I want you to know that I really do view this as just a chance for you and I to sit together and chat a little bit. I obviously would love to have listeners come and actually chat with me on the podcast. So if that's you, email me, podcast at gmail.com and just come talk. You know, I think that there's a lot of pressure in the podcasting world to have like schedule and episodes and topics and notes and whatever. But I think just as much If I can get sentimental or maybe philosophical with you all for a moment, I think that in our culture, we have a problem and it's that we're not connected enough. We don't have the type of lifestyle that we used to, which allowed us to spend time together talking in common spaces. It's so uncommon now to get a chance to sit and just chat with somebody that you love talking to or that you care about. You know, we're scheduling coffee dates and girls weekends and mom play dates whatever just to try to carve out the space to chat with one another but the problem is we're doing that weeks in advance and i think it's a very real human need to be able to connect with other humans and talk about just everyday kind of stuff or stuff that we think is interesting or stuff that gets us excited and i think that it's okay for a podcast to just be that And obviously, this podcast has a topic. It's Your Jewish Wedding Podcast, and we're talking about Jewish weddings. Also, obviously, there is a lot of tangents, and I tell you all about my favorite candles and what the weather's like and what my dogs are doing, and I think that that's fine too. Anyway, if you have found some value, entertainment, warmth, a place to be and to feel comfortable and to feel supported and held and heard on this podcast – please consider taking a moment to (laughs) leave me a rating. Obviously five stars is best, but you know, whatever you think I deserve, obviously, or a kind review. It doesn't have to be a top-notch A-plus review, but a kind review. What that really does, aside from feeding my ego, which doesn't really need much to eat these days, honestly, I'm a middle-aged lady. If somebody out there like loathes my podcast and needs to tell me about it. It might make me sad for a moment, but it won't ruin my day even. Okay. So I don't need your good reviews personally. You know who does need them though? People who are like you, who are looking for a Jewish voice, who will tell them that they are welcome and that supports them and encourages them through the process of planning a Jewish wedding, planning a Jewish life with their beloved. When you leave a rating or a review. It helps those people find this little space that we've carved out in the podcasting realm. Okay. And so more than me appreciating them, think about the people like you who might also appreciate it. And who knows, maybe one day you'll meet them or maybe one day you'll say, oh, we both listen to that podcast. How disorganized and crazy is that rabbi? But what a lot of fun also, too, right? If you would like to be a guest on this podcast, if you are a wedding vendor or an expert on Jewish weddings or a social anthropologist or a nerd, and you would like to talk about any aspect of cultural wedding traditions or contemporary wedding traditions or even very specific topics that have to do with weddings at all, email me at yourjewishweddingpodcast at gmail.com. I would love to have you come onto the podcast and ask any of my guests. We have a great time here. It's very chill, it's very fun, and I think we both get a lot out of it. If you are planning a Jewish wedding or if you have planned a Jewish wedding in any capacity, Jewish or Jewish interfaith wedding, right? Please email me and come chat with me on the podcast. Everybody wants to hear about weddings. Who doesn't like to hear about somebody's wedding? And in particular, you know, I say it all the time, but population speaking, there are just not that many Jews in the world. And so when you find somebody else who has been involved in a Jewish wedding in any way, you get kind of excited. So let's chat. And I mean, not to brag or not to like dangle a carrot in front of you, but sometimes I send little presents to the people who have been guests on my podcast. And that brings me great joy. And I think it brings them a little bit of joy too. So anyway, you know where to find me, your Jewish wedding podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to work together, on your Jewish wedding or your Jewish interfaith wedding. I'm currently expanding the number of ways in which people can work with me on their Jewish wedding. So keep a lookout for that on my website, yourohiorabbi.com or everyone's favorite rabbi.com. You can find me there as well. Same website, shared URL. And go to the little section of the menu that says contact. Just drop me a message. They come to my regular Gmail inbox through the website. I'll reply to your regular email. It's not like we're going to be communicating through some weird website. Okay, don't worry. Or find me on Instagram at YourOhioRabbi. The podcast has its own Instagram at YourJewishWeddingPodcast. So until next time, when we actually talk about how you can actually do this actual ritual at your actual Jewish wedding, thank you so much for being here with me. I've had a wonderful time. And remember, there is always more learning to do. Well, everyone, I have had the best time being your rabbi for this episode. I'm so glad you joined me for another little bit of insight into planning your perfect Jewish or interfaith wedding. Until you can smash that glass on your big day, you'd might as well smash that subscribe button for this podcast. I don't want you to miss a single thing. Remember, you can always find me, Rabbi Leanne, on Instagram at at yourohiorabbi all one word for even more tips, tricks, recommendations, and wisdom on Jewish weddings. If you want to work with me on your wedding, you'll find all the info you need at yourohiorabbi.com. Until next time, remember, you deserve the perfect wedding for you. Don't settle for anything less.